The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Investors gearing up for the busiest week of earnings season, but one trading desk notes the real action may still be another week away. But it's not just earnings. A central bank trifecta in the works also on tap here as the Fed prepares to kick off its first policy meeting of 2023. Tech in charge. The new contrarian trade that already has the Nasdaq on its longest weekly winning streak since August. And speaking of rallies, continue to watch shares of Tesla. Tesla, after the best week for that stock in a decade. And then China has an answer till the wildly popular chat GPT app and one stock is surging on that news. It's Monday, January 30th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Monday morning. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. Today, let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. equity futures. After a mostly positive week for stocks, the previous, the Dow is coming off a six-day winning streak, its longest since October, and the Nasdaq coming off a more than 4% gain last week. That's its fourth winning week in a row, the longest streak of that such since August now, on pace, by the way, for its best month since July. Futures right now on the heels of all of that, somewhat down. The Dow Jones implied lower by roughly 217 points, down 39 points implied for the S&P, and the Nasdaq down about 157 Technology uh, continues to be a big part of that story for that big Nasdaq trade. Now, all of this is coming ahead of the busiest week for earnings season this time around. You've got some 100 stocks in the S&P 500, 20 percent of the index reporting this week, as you can see there, with Thursday as the busiest day of all of them with the three A's, Alphabet, Apple, Amazon out, just to name a few on that Thursday alone. But don't get too excited just yet. According to data compiled by Bank of America, the average gain for the S&P 500 during the busiest week of earnings season is going back nearly five years is just 0.1 percent, one tenth of one percent. Now, it's actually the week after the busiest week of earnings season that has seen the most gains on average, ending the week up about 1.4 percent. So again, busiest week, the week after that, we might want to watch what comes up next week. It's not just earnings, though. Investors also bracing for a central bank triple threat with the Fed's first policy decision of the year due out on Wednesday. But then decisions from the European Central Bank and the Bank of England on Thursday. And speaking of central banks, checking the bond market right now, we have benchmark U.S. Treasury note yields on the 10-year side of things, a hair below 3.54 percent, the two-year note yield 4.22 percent, and the 30-year long bond 3.65 percent of the stand right now. So again, a rise higher in just about every part of the yield curve. Now, in energy, oil 
is back below 80 bucks a barrel for benchmark U.S. Wex Texas Intermediate or WTI crude prices down 30 cents, $79.38 cents the last trade there, off about one third of 1%. One quarter of 1% declines for ICE Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, currently $86.47. And in cryptocurrencies, before earlier, you know, over the last maybe five or six months, we've been talking about this range of around 16 to 18,000. We've now kind of reset that higher. We'll see if it stays there. We're watching that 23,000 level for Bitcoin prices. Currently a little below that, or actually now a little above that, 23,143, down about 2.5%. 3.5% declines for Ethereum prices, now back below 1,600, 1,583 spot 22, the last trade there. We've got a very busy morning shaping up overseas. Let's get out to London and our own Jumana Bersechi with the early trade in Europe and some of the big movers there. Good morning, Jumana. That's right, Dom. So much is going on in here as well. Earnings coming up as well as the central bank meetings. You mentioned ECB, Bank of England. Both are expected to hike 50 basis points. But today, the mood is pretty negative. You can see all of these European bourses are trading on the back foot. We've got Zetra Dax in focus down six-tenths of a percentage point. German Q4 GDP came out minus 0.2 percentage points. That is below expectations. The beginning of a contraction scenario, does it actually extend into a recession? Obviously, we have to see, but certainly not very good numbers coming out of Germany this morning. Spain also in focus, down two-tenths of a percentage point. There, the inflation print came out higher than expected this morning, coming in at 5.8 percentage points versus a forecast of 4.7. Also telling as we head into that ECB meeting, especially given uh, the fact that so far, inflation had been uh, surprising to the downside. But some corporate news that I want to give you as well. Ryanair is one of the stocks that we've been watching today. It posted a record third quarter profit of 211 million euros, beating expectations and almost doubling its own previous record. But the budget carrier did warn about a loss in Q4. And here you can see that Ryan Holdings is down about 2.6 percentage points. Another stock we're watching is Unilever. Some changes in management there. You can see a positive reaction up about two-thirds of a percentage. Point. The new CEO will be behind Schumacher. He will be replacing Alan Job from July the 1st after one month handover period. And activist investor Nelson Peltz has welcomed the move, thanking Job for his contribution and saying he, quote, strongly supports the consumer giant's new leader. And finally, one other stock we're looking at today is Philips. Here, very positive reaction, up almost six percentage points. The company there reported a net loss of 106 million euros in Q4, much bigger than the 16 million euro loss expected, despite posting a beat on sales in the period. But the company announced that it will be cutting 6,000 jobs by 2025, in addition to the 4,000 layoffs announced in October. So people are reacting positively, I guess, to some of the restructuring announcements that are coming out of Philips today. Dom. All right, Jumana Bersetti with the latest out of London. Thank you very much. To this morning's top corporate stories, Pippa Stevens is here with those. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Dom. China's largest search engine, Baidu, is reportedly planning to roll out an AI chatbot service similar to OpenAI's ChatGPT this March. According to multiple reports, the company is initially planning to embed it into its main search service before expanding to other areas. And volatility continuing to rock shares of Indian industrial giant Adani and its many publicly listed subsidiaries. Some $50 billion in market value wiped out last week. This despite the company issuing a more than 50-page response over the weekend to a short seller report published by Hindenburg Research calling it an attack on India itself. Hindenburg says Adani's response completely failed to address the core allegations of its report. 
And BP is trimming its outlook for oil and gas demand in its latest annual forecast. The company arguing the upheaval brought on by Russia's invasion of Ukraine will push countries to pursue greater energy security over the next decade with an emphasis on renewables. Dom. Stevens, with the latest there, thank you very much. Back to the broader markets with just two trading days left in the month. The major averages are sitting pretty. With the Dow up 2.5%, the S&P 500 is up 6%, and the Nasdaq is up a whopping 11%. As the saying goes, so goes January, so goes the year. Maybe. When stocks are positive in January, that bodes well for the next 11 months. Since 1950, when the S&P is higher in January, the year overall has been positive 86% of the time, with an average return of roughly 12%. That's pretty good. Let's talk more about this in the busy week ahead with Ryan Dietrich, chief market strategist at the Carson Group, a man who goes through all the numbers and all through history. Ryan, we've turned to you oftentimes on air and on social media for some of those big kind of statistical measures that you look at. What exactly stands out to you for 2023 just three weeks into it? Yeah, Dom, thanks for having me. And again, good morning. I mean, you, you kind of laid it out there, right? I mean, just how strong the start to this year has been. And, you know, so goes January, goes the year. It does have a good track record. Now, you just mentioned some of the numbers, but here's another one. I just found this over the weekend. When the year before is down, okay, and January is up 5%, so we're not there yet, but we, we, you know, you're telling me there's a chance. Only happened five times, Dom. That full year has never been lower, up close to 30% on average. Last time was in 2018, 2019. So, again, that's just one way to look at it. But when I look at the market, right, and I see some of these risk-on things like high beta, out drastically outperforming low beta, that's a 180 from what we were seeing this time exactly 12 months ago. So we can get into more things, but we're seeing the right leadership. And we really, we're on record at Carson Group saying October was the lows. That was the lows of the bear market. We've said that many times. And we think likely this year is going to be a lot better better than most people think for stock investors. So, so okay, we've we got, we got a lot of moving parts, a lot of variables, Ryan. I mean, the, the Fed and interest rates, you could argue the biggest driving force behind the market declines last year, along with some geopolitical risks as, as well. Is it as simple to say that this year is just about buying the stuff that was beaten up last year and selling off the stuff that was good last year? Or, or is it more nuanced than that? Yeah, we think it's a little more nuanced than that. I mean, you mentioned the Nasdaq, right? It's having a huge month. We're we don't think technology communications are going to be these huge winners this year. We're more even weight that you know we we think cyclicals. I mean, our base case is we don't think there's a recession. And I know not many people are saying that, but we still see a strong consumer. Look what American Express said. Look what Visa said. The consumer is still strong. Things aren't perfect, yes, but we think we can avoid a recession. And we're sticking with some of those cyclical cyclical value names: your industrials, your financials. Look at materials. Materials have just started to turn higher. Your Copper, your nickel, your zinc, China's reopening. I mean, so, you know, there's going to be opportunity across the board. But I think the key concept, again, being, I guess, let me put it this way. Last year, yes, your utilities and staples did better relative. You know, we don't think they're going to be the big leaders this year. We think it's more those cyclical names. And technology, again, you're more even weight. But it's nice to see that leadership coming from tech finally. Because as we all know, what's it make up? 25, 26% of the S&P. That's, uh, it's important for this bull market to continue. We are thinking it's a new bull market. It, honestly, Ryan, you, you and I were both around during in, in the wake of the great financial crisis. And it's fair yeah. to say that we've been in this kind of U.S. centric and then now global zero interest rate policy for such a long time. You could argue there's a generation plus of investors who've never seen a rising interest rate environment and inflation's only exacerbated that. How mm -hmm. can you use history as a guide 
if we are in what some call such an unprecedented market. Yeah, did you just did you just say we're old, Dom? By by saying I, I did, I did, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> nice way, nice way of saying that at five in the morning. You know, right. no, you're right. I mean, what are the four most dangerous words, Sir John Templeton? This time is different. I mean, so we really are seeing, you know, coming off of COVID and then the supply chain issues and all these things. So yes, there are some differences. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, let's take a look look at the U.S. dollar. Right? What have we seen historically when the U.S. dollar is strong, Dom? We've seen this several years now. Things don't do as well because it hurts global. Earnings. And again, we talked about the Fed a little bit. We think the Fed's got maybe one more rate hike, take their foot off the pedal. Other parts of the world are going to start hiking more. The dollar price is going to have a downward pressure. What history tells us, you know, we can all agree on, I think, at least last 20 years, a lower trending dollar is more of a tailwind for risk assets. We think that's the case we're going to have. And every we're in the middle of earnings season, right? Earnings have not been that great so far. I mean, let's be honest. I know more big names are coming. But if the dollar continues to be weak, that can be a tailwind. A lot of people aren't thinking. The reason earnings aren't so great is because we're dealing with that you know, huge spike we saw last year in the in the dollar, we think the dollar lower is kind of the, one of the big keys to the whole thing. The Fed, of course, is important, but if the dollar continues to trend lower, at least stops going higher, that's a major tailwind. We don't think people are giving credit for it. And that's going to be a big theme for all the mega cap names reporting earnings this week. Ryan Dietrich at Carson, right. thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate right. it. When we come back on the show, Apple's manufacturing move away from China reportedly entering new uncharted territory. Plus, out on bail. But prosecutors targeting Sam Bankman-Fried not letting him off that easy just yet. And then later on, shares of Intel coming off an ugly session after an even uglier earnings report. But what does it mean for the broader chip sector? We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. First up, Samsung Electronics considering cutting chip production. According to the Korea Economic Daily, this comes amid growing concern from the industry that the electronics giant will post a first quarter operating loss due to a slowdown in demand during the holiday spending season. Right now, though, Samsung shares closed down 2% in Korean trading. Next up, Tesla shares coming off their best weekly performance since May of 2013 with a 33% gain during that short time span. This after, it's better than expected fourth quarter report Wednesday, with CEO Elon Musk saying the company is on target to produce nearly 2 million vehicles this year. The rebound comes on the heels of Tesla's six-month decline, where the stock has fallen by more than 40%. So a big move higher. It's off about 1.5% of the pre-market trade. And then lastly, Apple. Key Apple supplier, Jabil Circuit, is reportedly making AirPod components in India 
to be shipped to China and Vietnam, where the earphones are then assembled. The news, if confirmed, would mark a significant step in Apple's push to expand production outside of China itself. Now those Apple shares off about one and a third percent in the trade pre-market. Still on deck for the show, another record for James Cameron's Avatar sequel. And the Northeast warm-up makes history of its own. We've got your top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a batch of housing data out this week, including the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index tomorrow. Construction spending on Wednesday. This as Wall Street awaits that Fed rate decision on Wednesday afternoon and what another potential rate hike could mean for the housing sector, both for buyers and sellers. So joining us now is Brad Dillman, the chief economist over at Cortland. We turn to you often, Brad, for these looks on housing and the economy. So as things stand right now, we know that the housing market is slowing down. Just how much further could it slow down in 2023? Yeah, definitely. Great to be with you again. Uh, Of course, it could slow down further. We are going to be looking to what the Fed is going to do. We're going to be looking at what's going to happen in labor markets as well. Um, I think right now we could also be looking at a theme of slowdown to moderation. And what I mean by that is uh, something like the Case-Shiller Index, we're looking at it slowing from 9.2% to 8.5%. But at an index level, that's going to be moderation month to month. And so that'll be sort of the, the first indication that maybe we're working with this theme of moderation. Now, we've seen some of the data come out recently with regard to housing starts and building permits. Now, we know the caveat here is those are often very volatile numbers and they can jump around month to month based upon things like weather. But but what can you read into the the near term trends that we've seen in things like housing starts and building permits? Are we still going to see any kind of a slowdown further out because of the lack of activity in some of those parts of the market? Well, so single-family starts have certainly slowed down, and that's expected with what happened in mortgage rates over the last six months to a year. Uh, Housing starts for structures with five units or more had been shockingly strong despite Fed rate hikes. It's really only in the recent data that we've started to see that come down. Uh, That data in general is is showing that the U.S. is still supporting housing, maybe more housing than we thought was going to be the case. Uh, And I think when we look at the amount of housing under construction that we're looking at basically uh, a little too much in the pipeline, if we click over to home builders, we can look at them. They're a lot more positive. They're talking about cancellation rates finally coming down. They're talking about traffic being somewhat normal. So while they, they're they a little bit positive, I think if we look at how much is under construction, it's still a little bit to be concerned about. Now, the, the, the inflation story, the inflation narrative over the last several months and quarters, a lot of that has centered on food and energy. That's come down quite a bit in certain parts. But real estate and rent specifically, it, it, it's a big deal. Can we expect some of those? Can we expect some of those rent rates and some of that growth in rents to start slowing down as well because of the overall housing slowdown? Yes, and so we are seeing annual rent growth, for example, slow down, particularly on the new lease side. Now, when that data does flow through into, say, more timely measures uh, that are used in the CPI, we should see that contribute to a slowdown in CPI inflation. 
Uh, the Cleveland Fed recently put out a great paper on this, where basically they updated the methodology by putting in a new lease uh, rent growth index that basically shows that inflation is actually slowing down faster than one would think than if they're just looking at shelter inflation and owner's equivalent rent. All right. Brad Dillman at Cortland with the latest on the housing market. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Let's get a chuck on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Monday morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good morning to you. America saw nationwide protests this weekend after the release of the body cam footage showing Memphis police officer beating Tyree Nichols, who later died in the hospital. Authorities had feared violence, but demonstrations have been largely peaceful. The Memphis Police Department says it has permanently disbanded its so-called Scorpion unit. All five officers charged over the death of Tyree Nichols belong to that unit, formed in November of 2021 to combat violent street crime. Now to an attempted drone attack in Iran. The explosion happened late Saturday night over a weapons facility. Iran's defense ministry says it shot down three drones. Iranian officials are accusing Israel of being behind the attack. Down to the wire, the Chiefs and Bengals battling for a spot in the Super Bowl. Able to seal him. Here's the pass. Oh, what a catch! Leaping into the air. Cincinnati fought back multiple times to even the score up on the road. The game was tied at 20 in the final seconds, but the ball was in Patrick Mahomes' hands. A personal foul plus some Mahomes magic got Kansas City in place for a last-second field goal. The Chiefs win and head to their third Super Bowl in four seasons, 23-20. to Jalen Hurts had the Eagles flying high early in the NFC Championship game. Both 49ers quarterbacks Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson were hurt during the game. Meanwhile, Philly's rushing attack found the end zone four times. The Eagles are back in the Super Bowl for the first time in five years. They beat the Niners 31-7. The Philly win, ruffling the feathers of New York sports fans when the Empire State Building lit up green for the Eagles. Everyone from Nick star Jalen Brunson to the NYC Sanitation Department all had to comment. Well, later, the Empire State Building said, that hurts us more than it hurt you, as it's changed to red to celebrate the Chiefs' win. So the stage is set for Super Bowl 57 in Arizona when Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes take the field. It will be the first Super Bowl matchup between two black starting quarterbacks. For a Monday morning, Dom, you are all set with those headlines. You know, Francis, I was watching the games with some friends, and we all saw the Empire State Building thing. And, (laughs) and, 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 you know, in this area, a lot of Giants fans, uh, you could tell that they were also bitter. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they need to change that to red real quick. Well, anyway, congr- congratulations to Philadelphia and Kansas City as well. Francis, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Now, straight ahead on the show, a price hike for Prime members. The new change set to take effect next month for Amazon. We'll be back, we'll be back after this break. Investors gearing up for a marathon week of trading. Earnings season shifts into its busiest period, and the Fed set to issue its latest rate policy decision futures right now pointing towards a lower open. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy seeking to avoid drama around the debt ceiling. The two leaders are set for a sit down to begin trying to hammer out a deal. And Sam Bankman freed SBF back in hot water. The new accusations by prosecutors that have them looking to overhaul his bail conditions. It's Monday, January 30th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Schuin for Brian Sullivan today. It's right around 529 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here's how your trading day is shaping up with the Dow coming off its first six-day winning streak since October. 
And the Nasdaq notching its fourth straight positive week. Futures right now, though, are offered. You can see the Dow is implied lower by roughly 207 points. The S&P down by about 37 points and the Nasdaq down about 155. Technology continues to be the epicenter of some of the late market volatility. Now, in the bond market, yields are currently drifting higher across the entire yield curve. On the short side of things, the two-year benchmark note yield 4.23%. The 10-year note yield 3.544%. And the 30-year long bond just a hair below 3.66% at this point. Let's also now hit oil prices. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI prices now back below 80 bucks. You can see here breaking their two-week winning streak last week. Those futures right now for U.S. benchmark crude $79.20 off about 50 cents or about one half of 1%. Similar percentage loss for ice brand crude futures down 36 cents to 86.30. And by the way, a special mention here, natural gas over the last year has been highly volatile, but we have now seen new lows over the course of the year to $2.71 for nat gas prices per million BTUs. Now let's check on some of the morning's top stories as well. Pippa Stevens is here with those. Hi, Pippa. Hello again, Dom. Well, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy set to come together this week to discuss lifting the debt ceiling. The two slated to meet Wednesday, marking their first sit-down at the White House since McCarthy became Speaker. In an interview yesterday, McCarthy said he is looking forward to discussing a reasonable and responsible way to lift the debt ceiling with the president. While he says he wants to address spending cuts during the talk, he pledged that cuts to Social Security and Medicare would be off the table. TikTok's CEO has reportedly agreed to appear before Congress. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Shochu will appear before the House Energy and Committee, Commerce Committee on March 23rd. This would mark the first appearance of a TikTok CEO before a congressional panel and comes amid increasing scrutiny of the Chinese-owned social media app by Congress. And Amazon is raising certain delivery fees for users of its Prime Fresh grocery delivery service starting on February 28th. Amazon Fresh orders of less than $150 will incur delivery fees of up to $9.95. Currently, most Prime members outside of New York City who spend more than $35 on an Amazon Fresh grocery order qualify for free delivery. And auto giants Renault and Nissan agreeing to restructure their more than 20-year alliance. Under the plan, Renault will transfer more than 28% of its Nissan shares into a French trust. That would reduce Renault's stake in Nissan from around 43% to 15%. As part of the agreement, Nissan will also invest in Renault's electric vehicle arm. The move still, though, needs to be approved by both boards. Dom? Pippa Stevens, thank you very much for those headlines. Another rough day shaping up for Intel after an ugly trading session on Friday and even uglier fourth quarter earnings report. That stock is down more than 8% in just the last week, adding to its more than 40% decline in just the last 12 months. But it's not all bad news. After a rough 2022, the semiconductor SOX ETF is now actually up 17% so far this year, outperforming the broader market and coming off its longest weekly winning streak since August. And with names like Advanced Micro Devices, also NXP, still waiting in the wings, reporting this week, was Intel just the first shoe to drop? Or can we, can we expect some positivity? Joining me now is Patrick Moorhead, the president and principal analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Uh, you know, we often look to you, right, more 
and Moore's Law. We need a little semiconductor kind of nod there for, for some of the insights we have here. I, I wonder, is, is the outlook for semis that bad? Is Intel uh, a foreshadowing of things to come? Yeah, so first off, it's really important to separate uh, the different sectors of the semiconductor market. Uh, there's memory that's just taken a beating based on oversupply, lack of demand, and somewhat of a price war between Micron and Samsung. Uh, there are markets that AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA operate in. And then there's this, what I like to refer to as analog markets, which are uh, serve markets like the automotive, uh, industrial IoT, and, and things like that. And right now, I mean, memory is has come in and out of its beating. Uh, but I think what we're looking at right now is these very high-priced, high-ASP, high-profit margin challenges in the digital space uh, for AMD, uh, Intel, and NVIDIA. And I think that AMD will perform better than, than Intel did when it shows up, primarily because it serves a few different markets than Intel does. But AMD is also insulated by its giant acquisition Xilinx, which cuts out the rough edges and operates in spaces that have more durability uh, than Intel. Uh, okay, okay. So if you if you take a look at the reasons why you, you mentioned certain specific parts of the market, like memory, graphics, server, data center, that sort of thing, if we're looking at the outperformance so far early in 2023, we've seen the likes of Nvidia and AMD and right. some others do do pretty well. Does that say then? that there is a focus now on some of those higher-end chips, especially for a company like NVIDIA, and especially as we hear more and more about things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, a la ChatGPT and everything else? Long-term, the this insatiable demand for compute and AI to fuel workloads like ChatGPT and OpenAI really bode well uh, for both the, the high-end digital space, but also the memory space. I think what we're in is we're in a, a level of uncertainty uh, for the next probably at least six months where uh, we question uh, that demand. I believe that the PC market will remain in a trough for probably another six months. The data center market is split into two markets, really it's enterprise and cloud. I think Intel showed that the enterprise market is is way down. And that's one of the challenges that uh, I see for this market moving forward. When AMD comes out tomorrow, we're going to get a glimpse at how cloud did. But based on the layoffs of all the cloud giants, I don't think it's going to be very pretty for the cloud build out. And the cloud build out, that ebbs and flows about every six months. So again, net net about six months more of short-term challenge. Okay, now uh, you mentioned cloud. I wanna get your broader take on tech in the few moments we have left here. A note from Bank of America's trading desk over the weekend saying in part that the Qs and the outperformance in the NASDAQ 100 so far this year, quote, most strategists seem to believe that almost all other regions and all other sectors are better longs than US and US tech. So we are now presented with a pretty rare opportunity where buying big U.S. tech stocks is a contrarian call. Is this the reversal, Patrick? Is now tech a contrarian call? And, and that's the reason why with the outperformance 
is happening in 2023? You and I both have been around for a long time, and this is just the way that things swing. Tech was the buy, and now tech is a contrarian view. I think that uh, investors need to look at it from a long-term perspective and ask, are consumers and businesses better off with high technology moving down the line? You have autonomous cars coming up. You have the build-out of the industrial IoT. You have things in AI that most people think could never be done before that are just coming to the surface with chat GPT. So tech is a long call right now. And I believe that uh, it is going to be the driver of the world economy for the next decade. All right. Patrick Moorhead, President and Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right. Coming up on the show, prosecutors looking to clamp down on Sam Bankman-Fried over allegations of potential witness tampering. The latest in the continued fallout of FTX's collapse. But first, as we head out to break, some of your top trending stories this morning. The Avatar sequel, The Way of Water, becoming the fourth highest grossing film of all time, pulling in an estimated $2.1 billion at the global box office, surpassing former number four, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. A zoo in Finland saying it is preparing to return two giant pandas on loan from China because it can no longer afford their upkeep. The pandas were brought to Finland in January of 2018, and a final decision will be made at the end of February. And New York City shattering its 50-year record for the longest winter without snow. That record first set back in January of 1973. The lack of snow also hitting other major East Coast cities, including Philadelphia and Boston. But it should be noted, February is typically the snowiest month for the East Coast. So maybe the worst is yet to come. Well, what exchanges back after this? All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Federal prosecutors in the Sam Bankman-Fried case are asking the judge to amend bail conditions for the disgraced ex-CEO and founder of FTX over alleged witness tampering this time. SBF's legal team pushing back in its own filing over the weekend. We've got CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos here with us to break it all down. So, Mac, walk us through these allegations. I mean, witness tampering is not something we take lightly. What exactly is the prosecution asking for in terms of new restrictions on the terms of SBF's release, the platform, the move they say may amount to witness tampering. What exactly is the story here? So, Dom, federal prosecutors say that Bankman-Fried contacted the current general counsel of FTX U.S., who may be a witness at trial. They allege that Bankman-Fried reached out on the encrypted messaging app Signal back on January 15th, saying that he would really love to reconnect to see if there was a way for them to, quote, have a constructive relationship, use each other as resources when possible, or at least vet things with each other. Now, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York said that this kind of language suggests an effort to influence a witness's potential testimony. They also claim that Bankman-Fried had been in touch with other current and former FTX employees. They say that these efforts by the defendant to improve his relationship with potential witnesses who could testify against him may itself, quote, constitute witness tampering. And because of all of this, the government is asking for two things. They want to restrict Bankman-Fried's use of Signal and other encrypted messaging apps in order to 
prevent obstruction of justice. They also want to ban him from talking to current and former FTX and Alameda employees unless he's with his attorney or has the approval of the government. So what exactly are the next steps here? I mean, when do we hear from the judge about whether or not those conditions are acceptable to him and the court given this new witness tampering allegation. We should have clarity on this relatively soon. Bankman Freed's lawyers filed a response letter to the court on Saturday in which they didn't really push back that much. Now, while they did take issue with this blanket ban on encrypted messaging apps, they were otherwise open to modifying bail conditions. Lawyers had a counter proposal in which they suggested that there be a select list of witnesses that Bankman Freed would be barred from contacting rather than saying that hundreds of employees were all off limits. As of now, there's no hearing set, but we did get some insight into the judge's thinking in a document posted to the court docket this weekend. In it, the judge said that neither side had provided evidence to back up their claims, and he gave them until today to file some sort of record of these encrypted messages and emails to substantiate their arguments. All right. So meanwhile, Bitcoin is up kind of near that 23, 24,000 mark over the weekend. Best performance that we've seen in months. So are crypto prices just immune to the FTX drama? Have they kind of shaken it off and we've got this in the rearview mirror? Or are there other shoes to drop with Bitcoin because of FTX's ongoing legal issue? I mean, all of the FTX drama largely seems to be priced in and long since shrugged off by investors. Bitcoin is slightly down this morning, as you said, but still up more than 40% so far this year, its best performance since August. And analysts believe that a lot of that, again, has to do with weaker macro data and the hope that we might see looser monetary policy because of it. There's this optimism that because of slowing inflation and the trending down of employment and wage data, the Fed could potentially reverse or at least pump the brakes a bit on its rate hiking strategy, which would be a very good thing for risk assets like Bitcoin. Crypto data firm Keiko found that Bitcoin to USD trade sizes doubled since the start of 2023, which potentially points to an institution-led rally. Meanwhile, the on-chain analytics platform Glassnode found that on average, if you bought Bitcoin back in 2019, you were back in profit this weekend when the price of Bitcoin was right around that $24,000 level. So this is kind of curious. Uh, uh, just one last point here. If you look at Bitcoin prices... Is there any feeling that you're getting from your contacts and sources about whether there's a breakout ahead or is it going to come back down to that 17, 18,000 range that we looked at before? Yeah, it's really close. The price of Bitcoin when it was at that $24,000 level was very close to that 200-day moving average, which is that key threshold that a lot of people look to. And they think that if it can break above that, then it's going to stay like up in that like mid $20,000 range. A lot of people also look at the halvening, which is this big event for Bitcoin that's coming up next year as a really breakout moment for a potential bull rally. All right. Mackenzie Segalos, Mac, thank you very much for the latest on SBF and Bitcoin. Thanks, Tom. All right. On deck for the show, stocks looking at losses right now pre-market as investors gear up for the busiest week of earnings, a Fed policy meeting and key jobs data. Our market panel lays out what you need to watch in the trading week ahead. It's a very busy one. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. Eastern time hour. TikTok CEO has reportedly agreed to appear before Congress. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Show Chu will appear before the House Energy and Commerce Committee on March 23rd. Unilever appointing Heinz Schumacher as CEO, replacing retiring chief executive Alan Jope. The move being welcomed by board member Nelson Peltz, who says he looks forward to working closely with Schumacher. 
A key Apple supplier in India, Jabil, is making components for AirPods to be shipped to China and Vietnam. That's according to a report from Bloomberg. The move marking Apple's latest step towards shifting its manufacturing away from China outright. Baidu planning to launch an AI chatbot similar to ChatGPT. According to Reuters, the service will be launched as a standalone application before gradually being merged into Baidu's search engine. Tesla shares surging 33% in the past week, marking their best weekly performance since May of 2013. And then Taiwan-based Foxconn is rumored to be in negotiations with General Motors for OEM electric vehicle orders, original equipment manufacturer. Foxconn, which is a major supplier for iPhones, has been looking to become a significant player in the global electric vehicle market, announcing a partnership with Lordstown Motors back in 2021. Well, gearing up for the trading week ahead and the busiest week of earnings season with around 100 S&P 500 companies set to report on deck today. Results from Whirlpool, also NXP Semiconductor, as well as a World Economic Outlook update from the International Monetary Fund. Tomorrow, we'll get the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index, along with earnings from General Motors, McDonald's, Pfizer, UPS, Advanced Micro Devices, Electronic Arts, and Snap, just to name a few. The EU, by the way, will also reveal its latest growth figures. And on Wednesday, it's the main event, the Fed's latest policy decision at 2 p.m. Eastern time, also watching for ADP employment report numbers, jolts numbers, and earnings from Peloton and Meta Platforms, the company formerly known as Facebook. Thursday marks the busiest day of earnings season with Eli Lilly, Merck, and of course the three A's, Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple, and more, by the way. We'll also get interest rate decisions from the European Central Bank and the Bank of England as well. And then we wrap up the week with the monthly jobs report, as if it couldn't get any busier. We'll also get earnings from Cigna as well. So with all of that on tap, let's see how markets are set up to kick off the new trading week. Futures right now offered. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 190 to 200 points. For more on this busy trading week ahead, let's bring in Delano Sapporu, the founder and CEO of New Street Advisors Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. Also, we got Joseph Fami here, managing director at Zor Capital. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being here both. Uh, Joe, maybe we'll start with you. The macro picture it's taken me a long time to read all of that because that's just how busy a week it is. What's the biggest thing on your mind this week? Uh, the biggest thing is the technicals have been improving so far in January to start the year. And now the big question is, is this just a rally within a bear market or the beginning of a new bull market? And I don't think it has to be binary one way or the other. We could just be in a range for a while. But I really think that uh, the Fed meeting that you mentioned coming up on Wednesday will give us a little bit more clarity. That'll be the key thing I'm watching this week, whether Fed Chair Powell will continue to be hawkish in his efforts to fight inflation or if he'll recognize that inflation's coming down and the tone will be a little bit more dovish. So I think that the language from that meeting and the subsequent press conference will really give us uh, some clarity as to the next move or the next direction of the market. You know, Delano, it makes sense, right? I mean, the interest rate story, the Fed story, the inflation story has been the biggest driver, arguably, of markets over the last several months. Is it fair to say that the markets don't have a path forward to the upside unless there is some kind of a not easing right rhetoric, but, but maybe a wait and see rhetoric coming from the Fed later on this week and, of course, down the line? Yeah, 100%. I think what we've priced in right now, obviously, is the 25 
um, BIPs move um, from the Fed. And I think, you know, that's a lot of that's priced in. So if we see something that's different or if we see commentary on the outlook that we haven't made as much improvement um, in the inflation trends, then I think you could see something where the market kind of takes a little bit uh, a reversion backwards. But um, I, I do think another important point in, on the economic calendar is what's going on with the unemployment report. Um, one big sticky point we've seen is kind of that tight labor market and not much movement, especially when you saw uh, the December the December numbers. So, so seeing some, um, you know, a different movement on that front might help, you know, investors be able to ease into the, say, the fact that we have trends that are getting better on inflation and, and a little bit a different um, when it comes to spending uh, from the consumers as well. And so I think those two points and fronts are going to be big, big themes for how we trade going forward. So, Delano, can I follow up there? I mean, I also mentioned that this is the 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 busiest week of earnings season. We've got around 100 S&P 500 companies out with results this week. As a as a as a professional trader investor, are, are you one of those people who takes positions or trades ahead of numbers or should investors wait and see what happens with this week before they put money to work? Yes, yeah, sometimes there's opportunities to trade ahead of numbers, right? And I think, you know, right now um, in this time where, you know, we've seen a solid trend for the beginning of the year, I think, you know, a lot of what I've been doing is taking positions in some of the companies that I've really liked. So obviously those mega cap companies that are a lot of them are going to be reporting um, on Thursday, as you mentioned. I think investors could be buying them because I think what we've seen is a lot of these companies have done a lot of things to make their costs more efficient and right and be a bit better on the efficient front on costs. Um, and a lot of them are going to have, you know, relatively, you know, subjectively numbers that on the earnings front that are, you know, the projections that aren't as strong as they were in the past uh, because we've seen a lot of the S&P numbers that have been reported so far. We've had, you know, a little bit slightly better on the bottom line than we expected. But, you know, I think taking positions right now is okay. And withstanding the volatility that may come with that, investors just have to be prepared for it. Joe, is there a favorite part of the market that you have right now? I mean, we, we know that we could be in this churn phase that, that some people are talking about. Is there something that stands out to you as a, as a possible thing for the shopping list? Yeah, the main sector that I discussed when I was on in July of last year was biotech. I think that biotech is showing great relative strength. Big Pharma has close to $200 billion in cash and pristine balance sheets, so they're looking to, do, to continue doing M&A. Uh, and also, as... More trials are coming back from uh, that were postponed due to COVID. You're starting to see more data. So I think uh, biotech will continue to outperform. And that's a sector that I'm focused on this year. Really quickly, uh, uh, Joe, is, is it is it small cap biotech? Is it mega cap pharmaceuticals? Uh, what's what's the most attractive part? I, I like them both. Uh, I, IBB is one ETF as a way to play the mega cap names, and XBI is more equal weighted where you get the benefit of the small and mid cap. I prefer XBI, but they're both looking strong, and I think both will do well this year. Delano, just a few seconds left here. What part of the market would you stay away from? Oh, the part of the market I'd stay away from right now, uh, I think, you know, one area that you could probably see a little bit of pullback, just to make sure um, investors that are, you know, invested in some of the oil areas, uh, look look for the volatility there. But in sure. general, um, I'm riding high on the mega cap and I'd like to see them continue to perform here. All right. Delano, Joe, thank you both very much for being here. We'll see you soon. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures are offered right now. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 200 points. Keep it right here. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.